David, and welcome to the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast. Just in case if you weren't aware, I wanted to mention that we do have a webpage for the show at tonebase.co slash podcast. From here, you can view the updated schedule for future episodes, along with links to all of our online platforms where you can stream or download any of our episodes. Also, as a thank you for listening to my podcast, I'll be giving a promo code for a month of Tonebase Premium, which includes access uh, to all their full-length videos. So stay tuned. You will hear that at some point later in this episode. A couple years ago, San Francisco Conservatory announced that the French guitarist, Judicale Perrois, will be joining the faculty. And when I first started this podcast, I just knew I had to make it out there to record a conversation with him. So I had a really fun weekend a couple weeks ago. And I was able to meet with five of the San Francisco-based guitarists in just two days. So we've got a very um, fun season ahead of us. And Judica was the first person I met with, so I thought we'd feature him on today's episode. Judica launched his career at a young age in 1997, winning the coveted GFA Air National Guitar Competition. And he's gone on to become a solo and recording artist of well-renown. He's also a phenomenal teacher. He's got one of the hottest studios out there. We had a really interesting conversation about his teaching philosophies, um, the current and future state of the guitar and classical music, along with uh, Judicao's musical inspirations. I'm sure you're eager to hear from him, so let's go ahead and take a listen to one of his recordings. This is a fun little tango by the Argentinian composer Enrique Nunez.
Welcome to San Francisco. I mean, you've been here for a year now, yeah. um, and you've got quite a studio at the Conservatory of Music here. How how different is it going from Paris to the U.S.? Actually, I was expecting something quite different, but to be honest, it's, I would say, exactly the same. First, because it's a conservatory, it's not inside a university, and second, because I have the same kind of students. I mean, I have like young guys or girls. I mean, most of the time guys in US, actually, that's one of the difference, very few girls. But, uh, you know, from 17 to 25 and f coming from a lot of country. And actually, that's funny. I have like, um, now I have like 16 students and I, I give class in French in like six or seven of the, of them. Oh, really? Okay. They are not French, but they, they were some students who were in France. Some of them, they were studying with me and they just follow me. So they speak French and I have like a Canadian, French Canadian. So it's pretty much exactly the same thing. I really expect a, a much bigger difference. Wow, that's interesting. And um, you've had quite a track record with your students um, in the competition circuit. You've I, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm pretty... I'm pretty sure it's safe to say you've had the most students to win the GFA competition. That's got to be very exciting as a teacher. Yes, I mean, of course, the the the, the, the GFA is the main competition in US. Uh, so there, there are many competition in the world, and one of the few that really give uh, a spot is GFA. So, so uh, with my student, I I kind of have a special. Uh, uh, not preparation because the program is pretty short. There are a lot of competition with a bit much bigger program, but I think is if there is one competition to to win, it's probably GFA, the most useful for sure. Yeah, it, it you know, from an outsider's perspective, it it, it kind of seems it's the competition that can really propel a career. If you yeah. win Parkening, Tarragon, don't get me wrong, those are it's big deal to place to those competitions as well but you just get your prize money and it seems like that's about it but the gfa you know having that 50 to 60 yeah. concert tour the noxos recording and everything it's uh it's changed so many careers yeah exactly that's probably i mean there are some people i mean like me of course i'm not so young anymore but there, there, there's some people who, who really made their career with mainly just this competition i mean i want very few of them i did very few and there are a lot of people, like in my case, of course, there are some people like, uh, you know, the recent winners like Xavier, Thibaut, they want a bunch of competitions. Uh, but uh, uh, still, GFA was the most uh, important. But in terms of difficulty, it's pretty much the same. It's not more difficult. I mean, it's exactly the same than other competitions. So because this is the same, I think it's more interesting to do one that gives you a better prize because that there's, there's no more candidate. It's exactly the same. So at least... If you try to do a competition, it's better to do one that could change your career. Can change your life for and sure. And change your life. Yeah. And remind me, what year did you win? Was that 97? 97, yeah. And uh, so that 98, you took that tour. And, yeah. Um, um, t tell me about the Naxos recording you did. Actually, I did the Naxos recording many years after because the year I won GFA, I didn't want the Naxos recording. This is Franco Platino who is now a teacher in Baltimore, who had second prize at GFA, and, G and Naxos, who was able to choose whoever they want, I mean, from the finalists, choose him. So I, I did the Naxos recording. I did another Naxos recording, not linked at all with my uh, GFA prize, but, you know, linked with, because we, we worked together, and it was a, 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 a John Sebastian Bach CD. Yeah. And I did the second one on Manuel Maria Ponce. But after GFA, the only thing I had, I mean, I would say not the only thing, but the main thing was the tour, but no recording. Okay, gotcha. And um, it, it, it's quite a quite a program for the Bach record. Um, I mean, you do play 998, which is, um, you know, a very beloved piece. Uh, but you also play some monster works that very, very few guitarists uh, uh, play. Um can you tell me a bit about those pieces? The 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 the, the so uh, on the back CD I I, I play uh, a transcription of the uh, the W uh, BWV eight two six so it's a partita for the for the harpsichord and it's one of my very good friend Tristan Manoukian, 
uh, who did the, the transcription. So first he did just the first movement and show me he was playing it. And I, I, I told him, oh, you know, that's really nice. I really want to play it. And maybe it's possible to do the rest. So he did everything and I play it and I record. But uh, I must say that now I'm not the only one who play that. I have one student in France who play also. Actually, one like uh, one month ago, two weeks ago, Cyprien and Zai. Uh, he won the, the Vienna competition, a very big competition in Europe, and he was playing uh, many movements of this suite. And uh, there are some people who are not my students at all who are doing the same. And actually, the guy who won GFA, Raphael uh, Feuillatre, uh, I think he played that for the first round. Okay. So it it started to becoming part of the of the repertory. I mean, at the beginning, it was from my students. I never give to my students the pieces I play. I really don't like to teach on pieces that I really know. But sometimes they kind of force me because they do the same. And in this case, it was the case for all the people who played this piece. That's interesting. Um, with not wanting your students to play pieces you've concertized and recorded extensively, is it kind of you feel maybe your opinions on the piece might be a bit too strong? Or or what's your thought process uh, behind I just, that? From the beginning, even when I was a young guitar teacher, I wanted for there's many reasons. The first reason it's more difficult to be open to some ideas of somebody else when I know the piece, when I've thought about the piece, because when I know very well a piece, normally I have a tendency to to push a little bit too much my student in what I'm doing. So that was the main reason. The second reason is I want to discover new repertory for myself and I like my student to play that first. So it's a good way for me to decide if I might play the piece or not myself. But it's a, it's a trap because when my student played the piece very good, I just think that I don't need to play it anymore. And if they do not really succeed, I just don't want to play the piece because I don't like anymore the piece. So basically, I just try, because I have a lot of student, advanced students, I just try to give them different pieces just to make my job different each time and to because I don't want them to play the same pieces uh, from each other. So I, I this is why. And uh, for this, I have a very simple method. Each time there is a piece that I like uh, when I'm judging competition, I just notice that and I try to, to, to keep it for later. And I ask to some very good friends who knows much more about guitar repertory than me to give me advices. And th those friends, I can tell the name, there is Lorenzo Micheli because he knows really a lot the repertory and Fabio Zanon also he had a radio show during many years in Brazil so he knows much more so time to time I ask them about pieces or to you know I just try to to bring diversity and for me it's easier also and more exciting if I teach on pieces that I don't really know I must say that now I'm teaching for many years it's a little bit easier for me to teach on pieces that I play. I did that, uh, for example, uh, three days ago with the Variation La Folia with Xavier Jara. And it was very easy to forget totally myself. But with Xavier, it's very easy because he's a very strong artist. So it's very easy to forget yourself. Yeah, and it's um, it really seems like you help um, bring a broader repertoire uh, to your community of students. and, and in the long run, you know, it means we won't necessarily be playing the same uh, pieces over and over again. You know, I definitely find in the classical guitar world, you know, it, it's very easy to be stuck in these kind of classic repertoire pieces. Yeah. And these are great pieces I'm speaking of, and I love them, and I play them myself. I would be a hypocrite if I said I only play music that's uh, only new music or pieces that have never been played. You know, I love Brower Sonata. I love these uh, pieces, but... It, it's so important. There's so much repertoire out there. Yeah. So much undiscovered music, I think. So it's great to see uh, a lot of your students really kind of helping propel that forwards. Yes, I think it's all... Uh, when you are a student, it's very important to do both. I mean, basically, you also need to play pieces that a lot of people play just because you need to compare yourself to know exactly where you are in comparison. I mean, you know... If you play the Rosé Sonata, it's, it's kind of nice to see if you can play it properly or not. But you need to have a mix because you need at the same time to build your own identity. And for that, the best way is also to play some pieces that are not overplayed. So th there is a mixing and, and it really depends from one student to another student. Some students, they need to play pieces. It's, it's kind of something you feel. So some, some students, I know they need to play pieces that other people play because it would be 
a better way to improve for them. But for some others, or when they are stuck in, you know, Introduction Caprice, Sonata by Boer, I mean, the pieces that everybody is playing, uh, I kind of push them to do something else. And in this case, I try to bring myself uh, to them the pieces that are not so much played. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Um, well, speaking of uh, pieces and everything, how do you go about choosing your programs um, on your tours, on your recordings? Uh, difficult to say. I mean... Uh, or is it just kind of what falls into place? No. Uh, well, basically, now, for some reason, I, I have... I'm touring and I'm teaching, so it's more difficult for me to to learn new pieces. I become older; it could be one of the reasons. So I really need to love the piece a lot to really learn it. Now, for example, since uh, two months, I'm learning the Antonio Rossi Sonata, and uh, I know that I want to learn this piece for many years, and I just didn't do it. So the way for me to choose. Uh, one condition it has to be a piece that I think I would be able to make the effort to learn it. Uh, so it has to be not a piece that I like, but I really love. That's the first thing. After that, for concerts about the program, it's a little bit different. Mm, in my opinion, I mean, for me, there's no rules. Uh, sometimes you do some very smart program, and for some reason, it doesn't work. Uh, it's kind of mysterious. Uh, I, I read uh, there is a piano player that I really admire a lot who just retired like eight or nine years ago. It's Alfred Brendel. And he wrote a lot of books about, uh, you know, about music. And he, he wrote books also. He wrote articles about how to choose a program. And basically, you arrive at the, at the at the point that there's no really rule. Sometimes you can have some great pieces that kind of fight. And one is destroyed by the first one. So it doesn't work. Sometimes you have you try to have a very strong theme, for example, variation on aphoria and you put pieces on variation on aphoria together and finally it doesn't work so usually i try to do something that works together and i just know if it works after some concert uh, after some concert sometimes i feel good and I, I have the feeling that each piece had its chances and sometimes i think i choose a very smart program and i just discover after the program that there's one piece I never play good and I don't know why or there's one piece that nobody talks after the concert so it means that people were not interested by the piece so it's impossible to to guess at least for me yeah it's interesting and I find for myself in regards to programming I, I don't totally know uh, how it's going to go until I kind of test it out on the stage a couple times you know and uh, I, I haven't recorded a CDM myself. I'd love to at some point, but I definitely know I'm going to be <laughs> trying to perform whatever program it is a lot just to make sure, does this make sense? Does it kind of have a nice arc to it and everything? And it's also, I, I love hearing you talk about choosing pieces you, you feel passionate about because, you know, nowadays it, it seems you can really tell um, when a player is performing a piece that they've got the technique and it's musical and, the tone's good and everything, but there's needs to be passion and love for the music. And you could it, you could just tell a snap of a finger, you know, if they don't have that love and passion for that piece. Yeah, I, actually, that's that's one of the difficult part of uh, how theirs is. People play much better than in the guitar than on the past. I mean, even me, I'm 45, so I'm not so old, but the level is much higher than in my times. But at the same time, so the level is much higher because people start younger, they become good younger. I mean, in US, it's huge, the difference in comparison of 20 years ago, but in Europe, the same. And there's some new country that were not there and now they are part of the uh, of the game for the guitar. But sometimes when you start very young and you are good and you work very hard, you don't have time so much to develop the, the patient. It's like something you do and you don't necessarily you know, like it. You have that with sports, for example, sports player, because, for example, if you play tennis, you need to start very young. And some people, I mean, they were one guy, very, very famous in US and everywhere. It was Andre Agassi. He was like one of the best tennis players and he wrote his bio. And his bio, I mean, I'm not totally fond of sport. I mean, I like tennis, but I don't know so much. But his bio was, he explained how he really hate doing this during 99% of his career, just like at the end when he quit. Mm. And and it's kind of interesting because that's something I noticed, I mean, not necessarily on the guitar, but in many other instruments, particularly instruments like violin, piano, when people have to start so young and be so good very young, sometimes 
they they never listen classical music they never go to concert and they they, they can be really good at extremely good and and they don't really like it and sometimes you have the opposite you have some people who are not so talented and they really like it but life is very unfair i mean somebody who doesn't like it but who is very who start very young and talented is still a better player than somebody who like it with no talent that's the, that's life and as a teacher i would love to to have the opposite but i must say that i had some students who were extremely good at a very high level and they had no interest for classical music and for guitar and they were really good and i had and i meet time to time the opposite some people really love it but it doesn't work musically even musical technically for sure but even musically some people they can't really express that even if they like it yeah it's um it's definitely a problem as you're saying the level all instruments you know it's yeah. just propelled immensely which is fantastic but there is this very kind of high pressure from very young ages. And I find yeah. um, from my fellow peers and people I see, these people were really forced at a very young age to yeah. just do it. They don't have that love. And, you know, I worry about them. I think they're going to burn out. You know, I it's kind of scary to watch. You know, I, I people ask me all the time, you know, who are non-musicians, oh, you, you study music? So, like, what can you do with that once you graduate? Mm. And... Yeah, it's not always an easy career path. And you, in my opinion, you just got to love it. You oh. just have to love it to go for it, no matter how good of a player you are. You know, if you don't love it, it's going to be, you know, of course, sometimes, you know, you might have some career breaks and stuff, but there may be some tough times and you just have to have that passion always to get through it. Um, it's, um, I'm very, I feel very fortunate that I was never really forced into classical music it was just kind of a I was eight years old and you know I was taking acoustic guitar lessons and my teacher at the time who wasn't even a, a guitar teacher per se he was a violinist he just handed me an Aaron Shearer mm. book and I just got obsessed with it and I just kind of went from there you know but when these kids are forced you know practicing hours a day it, it makes me worried oh yes that that, that 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 makes a lot of sense in particular because you are in comparison of sports uh because there's a lot of there i mean in terms of artistic expression of course there's no comparison but in terms of dedication and of how, about how young you have to start there's a lot of com a lot of things in common and uh let's say that the sport you can don't really like it because you can stop at 30 years old when you finish your career 35 and you have some sports player they just gain 50 kilos in one year after they stop and they don't do that anymore but for the music you start for a very long journey that will bring you to basically when you decide to retire so if you don't have time it's going to be very if you don't have love it's going to be very 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 long and that, that that's that's the stuff that can worries me uh, that worries me a lot and uh, of course uh, the, there's another problem when you do music is a lot of people they start doing music thinking about doing a concert career and most of them even some very good one. And this is something new on the guitar. I mean, for the piano and the violin, there are a lot of child prodigy who still who are, who were doing really seriously music and they couldn't make a career because the competition is huge. But on the guitar, let's say that at least in my time, uh, if you were really good and you were still practicing, you were sure that you will somehow make some concert. And I really noticed now, uh, I, I don't know so well how it is in US because I'm new, but in France, there are so many people who are really good that even if they are really good, even if they work a lot, even if they communicate, they are not sure they will make a career. So how are they going to deal with that? How are, are, are they going to be happy teachers or frustrated teachers? I mean, that, that's a very big challenge. And this challenge is the case for violinists, cellists and pianists for many, many, many years. I mean, the sometimes some people who don't necessarily have a strong interest about other type of classical music are at the same time the, the same one who say that all oh, the repertory of classical guitar is not is not good we just have some basically bad music and the composer are bad and at the same time i compare that with some people that i know they, they like they know very well classical music in general and they are very happy with the guitar repertory of course i'm not going to compare i don't know uh, so with Mozart, of course not. I mean, it, it, it would be totally stupid, make no sense. Or, I don't know, Barrios with whatever. 
but still you can you can love things for different reason yeah uh if you i don't know yesterday was it yesterday i mean a few days ago no yesterday i heard because i had one student who was playing final uh, in Benicassim in Spain, Marco Topshi, and he had second prize. So I, I listened the concerto on the on the on streaming, and uh, one guy played the Tezesco concerto. My student played the Ponce concerto, and of course, even the Ponce concerto is a good concerto. It, it's not, of course, the same level than the Mozart Requiem. I mean, it would it would be stupid to say that, but you can love the things for different reasons, and and. I like the guitar. I mean, it's difficult to say why I love the guitar because it's mel- it's melt with myself. But uh, sometimes you can you can love the just the tone of the instrument, or sometimes you can like also some weakness that makes the stuff that that make the thing that you love. I mean, there's many reasons, and and uh, I think you can do you can be totally involved with classical music, love classical guitar. And you can also dislike uh, classical music and denigrate the, the classical guitar, saying that it's not at the level of the best composers. It's going to be fascinating to see what, well, hopefully classical music is still as alive as it is today. I, I'm kind of terrified because most people my age can't pay attention to a song more than two minutes. You know, it's yeah. terrifying. But that that's a whole other conversation. But it's going to be fascinating to see how the classical guitar is going to be integrated in regards to repertoire with these composers writing for the instrument 200 years from now. Um, and everyone has their opinions on new music. I, I personally love new music, but I know it's not for everybody at the time, you know, because, you know, a lot of times these uh, composers are just ahead of their time, a bit too revolutionary for the current listeners. But it will be fascinating to see in like 200 years the kind of the great composers not to make comparisons but you know who were at the same level at least for their time period like Mozart was or Bach Mm. was for this time period it'll be really interesting to see if the guitar is really harnessed in that repertoire or if it'll kind of I don't want to say forgotten but if it won't be as prominent kind of how it always has been you know that's something I've talked with many people and maybe I'm not sure I'm not sure about anything uh I bought a, a very nice book with posters of concerts in Théâtre des Champs-Élysées. Théâtre des Champs-Élysées is a concert theater in Paris, one of the most prestigious and old. And there's posters of the concert in the beginning of the 20th century. So, you know, at this time they were doing very nice posters. I mean, you have the same kind in US and in each country, very artistic in comparison of what we do now. And I always show that to my students. I said, do you notice something? In those programs. So they always say, oh, it's very nice. It's much better the design, blah, blah, blah. But in fact, the stuff I would like them to notice is everybody, even the most mainstream player, were playing contemporary music. They were playing Ravel, Prokofiev, Skriabin, Rachmaninoff, Shostakovich later. They were all playing contemporary music. The orchestra, they were all playing contemporary music. And all those composers, they were famous. They were famous when they were new concerto by Shostakovich, somehow it was an event. I mean, they were famous, Stravinsky. And uh, the thing is now, the music that the orchestra are playing, even in US where they do much more contemporary music than in Europe, it's old music. It's old. The last very famous composer who died, I mean, very Boulez died some years ago, uh, Ligeti, but more famous. I mean, if you ask on the street who is Ligeti, nobody will know. Or Boulez, nobody, even in France. But the last famous one was Shostakovich. Yeah. And it's uh, 40 years ago, a little bit more. So, uh, I think, this is my theory, what I think, I think uh, classical music is part of the history now. I mean, even like 50 years ago, 50 years ago, there were a lot of famous pianists who were a student of student of France list, for example. So there were this connection. Uh, Claudio Arau, who was one Earl White's an American pianist who died at 95, was a student of a student of France list. So we had this direct connection, and France list means Bet- uh, Beethoven, uh, Schumann, blah, 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 and you can arrive very easily to Bach, and, uh, like this. 
And now, I think it's very disconnected. The composer, they can be very good. I don't talk about the quality, I just talk about the disconnection. It's like poetry. For example, poetry during many years was one of the main thing in terms of writing. Now, poetry, it's a very small, I don't know if you say niche. Uh, no, that, that, yeah. that's a good way to describe yeah. it, yeah. It's a, it's a niche, and my feeling is in our country. I don't talk about China a lot because it's something new in China, so I don't know how it will work, but in our country, it's going to be something that some people will still loving, but it will be a niche. And even in US, you 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 we you used to have in the 60s Bernstein doing some show on TV talking about classical music. Now it would be impossible, even with the talent of Bernstein, it would be just impossible to to imagine. Actually, the last famous was Bernstein, not Shostakovich. Uh, but uh, uh, that, that, that's one one big difference. And if you meet some old people and educated people, they will know a little bit about classical music. It's not the case anymore. Even the young educated people, they don't know about classical music. So when I say that, uh, I really think this is that. And it doesn't change my love for classical music because if I were, I'm not necessarily into what's worked the most. So I think it's not a problem. We're going to still having an audience. We're going to still having some people who will come to see concerts, but it will be just something different. And there's some art that are part of the history and some new art that appears. For example, we call movie was a, a very recent new type of art. Maybe now there will be something with computer. I don't know anything about computer, so I can't talk about that, but probably there would be something linked with compute computers. So, I mean, there, it's like life. I mean, some stuff died and the memory is still on the memory of everybody, some people, and, and kind of fade, but there will be all the time some people who will remember and some new thing that appears. I mean, I can't be sure this is like this. Maybe there will be a giant revival of classical music in Europe and US and Japan that would make the stuff very different about what I say. And somehow I might hope that this can happen, but I don't think it will be the case. That's just my, my opinion. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the next hundred years or so. As promised, here's the promo code for a month of Tonebase Premium. Head over to Tonebase.co, and while signing up, when prompted, type in the coupon Tonebase-podcast. This is all uppercase and all one word. I'm always really curious with artists of Judicao's uh, level with who are their musical inspirations, so I had to ask him this question. I mean, actually, it's quite easy for me to talk because I can say that uh, in uh, 38 years that I'm listening guitar, I mean, I'm 45 now, uh, my, my taste has changed. I mean, there's some guitarists that I really like a lot when I was like a teenager that I don't like at all anymore. And uh, instead of talking about those guys, I mean, the, the, the why also San Francisco was something special? I mean, I, I love the, the Asset Brother from the beginning. And, and my, my love about what they do didn't change at all. I mean, I, I'm still uh, the young uh, guy or boy that was listening to the Asan when I listened the how they play. And, uh, and that's probably the only one like this. I mean, there's some people I really like a lot that I like less, but them, it's still the same. So about the, the older generation, uh, they, they, are, they are the guys and they are the guys, and this is why also it was for me kind of special to 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 take the job that Sergio used to have, because uh, uh, it's probably the, the 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 person I mean the brothers uh, that makes more sense to me. I mean, so uh, but uh, so so th those are the guys, and 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 from the young player, uh, I mean younger player, it's there are a lot now of very good players, but of my generation. Uh, it's all the time more, I think, more interesting because the young players, a lot of them were my students, so it's not so nice to talk about them. But uh, uh, I have a lot of admiration for, for many of them. But, uh, you know, I've seen like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a concert by Lorenzo Michele, and I really like it a lot. A lot. The program, the way he plays, how he plays. Same thing with Marcin Della and Carlo Marchion. I mean, those are really my main inspiration. Uh, I, I really want to to sometimes I feel tired to go to guitar concert, but when those guys are playing, I really want do kitsch or so. I mean, there are a bunch of people of my age that I really admire a lot. And the thing that I feel that I'm still kind of fresh on the guitar is I can still having a lot of admiration even from people of my age. 
and uh, I would be very afraid if I were. There's a lot of people I don't like, so it's not that I like everybody. I mean, most of the people I'm not very interested when they play, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> to be honest, but there's still a lot of people. So it means that the people I really love, I really love them because I really don't trust people who say, oh, you know, I think everybody is great. Everybody has something to bring. I really think when I see a bad concert that there's nothing to take except an example of what I wouldn't want to do. Same thing with people. I think some people are really not useful. I mean, not in hers, but to to my own personal feeling. So the the, the people I, to, I I I gave those names, but there are much more. But I really like those guys, and and they and they're still a very important musician to me. Yeah, and um, to the Assads, I mean, I I've only seen them perform one time, um, and it was one of the most moving, beautiful concerts I've seen. It was at GFA and Charleston, so geez, that was a long time ago. I think it was 2012. And I, I forgot what year it was, but it was some type of anniversary tour. They had been playing together for, uh, it was a big, maybe it was 40th or I, I forgot. Mm. But uh, at least from what I gather, they don't talk on stage too much, but Odayar. Mm. Um, Odayar never talks. He stage. talked. No. Od- he yeah, talked he at does. this concert and he uh. said, you know, it was a very simple kind of quick thing he said, but um, he explained that we've been playing together now for, I, I, yeah, I wish 40, I, 50, was it, it was either 40th or 50th yeah. uh, tour anniversary. And he said, we've been playing together for all these years and I still absolutely love playing with my brother. And it was just so beautiful to see that. My mom was sitting next to me and she just started breaking down, you know, I mean, <laughs> but um, it, it's... um. When there's love and passion with everything, especially in ensembles between the players, there's something just so special, refreshing, unique, and yeah. beautiful with the with the performance. And um, they they really propelled um, the guitar ensemble realm of everything for our small niche of the world. And they, I don't know. I mean, there's some amazing duos out there. I love solo duo. But the Omelis is really good. Uh, I don't know; they are less known in the U.S., but it's uh, Alexi Musorakis and Suan Prieto. It's the Omelis; they are really amazing, also. Oh, I I know they they yeah. play on Wagner guitars, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. They they're beautiful. They sounding. are really good. Uh, so yes, yes. I, but but the the Asad the Asad duo actually they were two very important duo before them. They were the Abreu duo, Brazilian duo. Also, really, extremely good. A little bit before the Assad, and both were super good. But one became a very successful guitar maker, and the other is like a scientist now. Oh so wow! They did, they did a huge career. You can find some amazing videos on internet. So duo Abreu, and before they were Presti Lagoya, who was a French duo. But I don't say that because they are French. They were, in fact, the most famous duo in the world. And even the Assad, who played totally differently than do- this duo from the 60s, 70s, they had a lot of inspiration from this French duo, Alexandre Lagoya and Ida, Ida Presti. So they, 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 to be to, to tell exactly the truth, it, it's more or less the, how the, 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 the history of duo has been built. Uh, like this, and the Assad arrived after in in end of the 17th, beginning of the 80, and after that, because of them, there were many other duo very good at the previous, of course, solo duo, duo menis, and bunch of other Kupinski, a lot of duos, and they, they, so they had, the, and also they brought a huge amount of repertory for yes. the duo. And of course for the solo, because Sergio is a great composer, but for the duo, a lot of things that we do are coming from them also. And that that's also something, it's a good way to, to see how important is, is, a, is a player. It's it's not just doing concert, it's also the repertory you bring. So for example, in this field, if you compare, for example, Brim and Williams, there's a huge difference because Brim brought 10 times more repertory to the guitar world than John Williams. I don't talk about the playing. The playing, you can argue forever you prefer. But in terms of repertory, in terms of achievement, for the all the other guitarists, Brim, no doubt, Yeah, for sure. And and that's the thing. There are some people, there's one guy also that I admire a lot in Europe. It's uh, Tillman Obstock. Mm. And he doesn't give a lot of concept. That's his choice, but he's, he has done a huge amount of work for 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 the guitarist with Ponce with Bach and uh, and yeah so so this is one of the of the guy that inspire me a lot 
his uh, books on Bach, his analysis, yeah. are just amazing. Yeah. And there, how, there's three sets, I think. Yeah. Only one's in English. Yeah, uh, for the rest my, is in German. For my uh, English-speaking uh, listeners. Oh. Uh, so to start taking German classes. But I cannot... Um, say enough how amazing those books yeah. are i highly recommend checking them out yeah if you can. and very very easy at the same time very deep interesting and easy to understand you yeah. don't need to be uh like i mean i was able to understand that so it, it shows that it was pretty yeah. easy i mean they're thick reads it's not like you just read it before going to bed but it's not he explains everything yeah, very yeah, yeah. well. Yeah, it's not you difficult. just need to have a low understanding of music. And yeah. with that, it, they are some of the most inspiring things I've ever seen for the guitar. No, he's, he's really doing a lot. And and uh, uh, that, that, that's one of the things also, that the way to contribute to the instrument, as many you can, it can be with the teaching, uh, it can be with uh, what you do in terms of editing, it can be in what you bring in terms of repertory. I mean, there's many, many, many ways to be to be useful to the instrument it could be just because you are kind of famous and and so you bring more exposure on the guitar i mean it's the case of i i think in us uh, jason view is very known in us so i don't know what he's doing in terms of repertory but at least in terms of exposure of the guitar he, he's probably doing a lot uh i mean that that's different ways of course me i'm much more touched about uh, people who bring a repertory and then who are famous on on TV because it's not my my own personal interest, but this is why basically I I, I like all the guys I, I talk. Yeah, there's a uh, very different approaches you can go uh, for making a career, and uh, I love Jason's playing. He's a fantastic player, and I really enjoy his repertoire as well. He definitely kind of picks repertoire that fits to a very general audience. Yeah. Um, so he's not one to really explore this realm of new music quite as much or, or these really kind of crazy big repertoire pieces. I mean, I was just looking up on YouTube right before coming here and uh, you've got, you know, recording from a live performance of the Ponce theme variations of Fugue off of La Folia. And that is just an amazing piece. And it rarely gets played, I think partly because it's just so hard to pull off mm. um but it, it's a gem an absolute gem to our repertoire and we barely hear it it's really a shame yeah actually i met one time on the on the train from paris to london i met milos karavajik you know the guy on dutch gramophone and uh i didn't know him i mean i knew him <laughs> from the tv or whatever or posters or dutch gramophone thing but i talked with him uh he, he saw me with the guitar so he wanted to talk and uh, it was very interesting because, of course, I, I don't have any interest about what he's doing uh, musically. I mean, it's not for me. Anyway, it's not for me. And That's a uh, nice way to put it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not for me, clearly. Yeah. But in fact, when I talked with him, first, he was very nice. And second, uh, it, this is what he likes, in fact. Uh, he, he explained me how he, he arrived to classical music, and it was in a way totally fitting with what he's doing in fact basically mm. yeah, i remember explaining he arrived on on classical music with andrea bocelli you know he's the blind singer from uh, yeah. italy who is supposedly a classical singer but he's not he's a uh, kind of between i mean he yeah. wouldn't do any opera because he doesn't have the voice so it's kind of between and he's doing pop music and basically uh, uh it, it would be Terrible, for example, what is doing this Milos if it was something totally fake, you know? Like, uh, if I do that, for example, it would be fake. So it would be very easy to, to really criticize because it would be totally something that I really don't trust. But in his case, and I have no reason to don't trust what he told me, it's something very natural to do that. So, uh, of course, there are a bunch of people who... who don't like him on the classical music world and uh of course there is a part of jealousy and also it's because he doesn't do the stuff for us he's doing that for other kind of people who don't have the same background and he likes that so uh so for me it was very interesting to, yeah to that's meet a him. that's a really interesting way to look at things i never thought of it like that and yeah as you're saying he's not everyone's cup of tea um but 
if he genuinely I've never seen him live, you know. But if he genuinely enjoys what he does and feels strongly about it, and I I think it's great and the audience loves it. And if he's happy with what he does yeah, and if the audience says he plays to it, I think it's awesome. I really I really have the feeling that he was very sincere about what he's doing. After yeah. that, maybe he's the best liar and on hers, but I, I I'm really pretty sure not. And uh, that that's how it is. So it's kind of funny because sometimes there were some chat about him on Facebook and everybody was putting trash on him basically. Yeah. And and it was funny because I, I was kind of different being in favor of him. And I have no, of course, I would never go to a concert. I have no interest. And, and when when I listen classical music for any kind of s- instrument, I don't listen that. When I listen flamenco, I don't listen this kind of flamenco. When I go to movie, I don't really see this kind of movie. But uh, I think we have to, to, to be careful to don't be, uh, to, to, to don't judge so much things. But on the other hand, I must say that people who say it helps classical guitar, I don't think it's the case. So it's not that I'm very naive. It doesn't help because if somebody buy one of his CDs and like the CD, and after that, he see a concert of, I don't know, Lorenzo Michele Machindilla playing 20 minute piece, it will not work. It's not because they, there will be maybe 1% of the people who will discover classical guitars through him, but the rest, they will stay on him. It's like there is a guy very famous in Europe. It's André Rieu. Uh, he's doing show all the time. André Rieu. It's kind of uh, Liberace a little bit, you know. In okay. US. And he's doing violin. And there's all the time like 10,000 people listen to him. And I'm sure on those 10,000 people, there would be like one less than 1% who would stand will support a Tchaikovsky concerto by uh, Perlman because it would be too long, it would be too difficult, it would be no show, blah, blah. So I don't say that it helps us, but it's not against us. So because this is not against us, I don't think we we should really complain uh, about what he's doing. It's just a, a kind of another style and yeah. a, just a different aspect to play exactly. to audiences. Exactly. I mean, when you when you hear about uh, nobody would complain that uh, there is uh, I don't know Katy Perry and and stealing audience to classical guitar. It's just not the same. So it's I would just say a different world. It's just a different world. And I never see any chatting on on internet about how Katy Perry or whatever is bad on on guitar forum, which would be totally absurd. So I think it's kind of absurd to have this kind of chatting about a guy like Milos because he's doing something different, even if he used the same instrument. Yeah, very true. Thank you, Judy Kyle, for being on the show. It was so great to have you. Please join me in two weeks for a conversation with the 2017 GFA competition winner, who's also a current student of Judy Kyle's now, Javier Hara. I'll conclude today's episode with uh, another recording of Judy Kyle's this is the last movement titled Capriccio of J.S. Bach's Partita Number no. 2 and C minor, and this is the arrangement that Judica spoke of earlier. I'm David Steinhardt, and we'll see you next time for the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast. <laughs>